Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Sandspans Radio. Happy birthday, Sarah. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Movie Maintenance, where some films just need pitching. I'm Gabe. I'm Cap. I'm Ed Goose. And today we're talking about Dorian Gray. So, what's all of our experiences with Dorian Gray? The classic 2003 dramatic adventure biblical epic, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I think that's pretty much how everybody starts off with the problem. Wait, that is, is he a character in that yeah. movie? Yeah. He's you, essential sorry, in that movie. Have you, have you not God. seen the defining 2000s classic, you League of Extraordinary what? Gentlemen? You dirt worshipping heathen. I haven't seen it. And I remember podcast? looking to. I remember Why saying. Why did you bring me in for this goddamn <laughs> shit? So sorry, sorry. I've never recorded with this bit no, of trash before. No, I remember before. looking for it around like. 2012, 2013, I remember being like, hey, that's a film I missed and I want to go see it. And everywhere I went to look for it, no one had it and they this all asked very me why. <laughs> they were like, why? Why do you want to? I think even my boyfriend was like, why do you want to find this film? And I couldn't find it. But I did look. I did set out to see it. Do you want my copy? Trying. Do you have a copy? Yeah, that's why I've seen I this film. I genuinely would watch that's it. That's why I've seen this film so many times because it was one of the first things we had on DVD in our house because it was like at the forefront of when DVD started right. getting released. Wait, when did it come out? Like uh, 2003, 2004? 2000... Two or three, I think. Right. Three, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, yes, yes, please. Like, where were you five years ago? But yeah, I'll take it now. I'm not complaining. It might yeah, be even sure. earlier. It might be like Actually, I'm pretty sure because... my DVD is a double pack with that and 2003 Daredevil. So you're in Probably. for a oh, good night. That's a film. A box of quality cinema. Yeah, I think it's one of those films, though, that you probably shouldn't watch if you're not 13, maybe. Because like, I remember watching it at that, to- at that age and thinking, this is the best. And yeah. being completely fascinated by particularly the Dorian Gray character in there. Because like, you know, he was cool and there was the painting that aged while he stayed young. And I think that was sort of... Did you know it was a book? No, I had no idea. And then you somebody told me about it. Day. So I sort of knew that the rest of it... I knew kind of vaguely that the rest of it was based on various literary characters coming together. I still didn't know. Like, this is news to me that that's what League of Extraordinary... I thought it was about a guy who had like stretchy arms, right? N- no, that's... Like, is- there's a character who's like stretchy. That's the equally amazing film, Fantastic. No. Or any of the other various Fantastic Four adaptations. No, no, it's like it's like so it's basically literary characters like Mina Harker from Dracula, Dorian Gray, Jekyll and Hyde, The Invisible Man, Quatermain, Quatermain from Solomon's Mines. All of these different kind of famous characters come together to 
takedown. I don't really remember the specifics of the plot. It was a uh, Captain Nemo from. Oh god. Yeah, he was my jam. What no, Dorian, Dorian, I was, well, Dorian was for you in that film, Nemo was for me. No, I thought he was enough. fucking sick. A certain gravitas Who played him in the, two, the League of an Extraordinary Gentleman? Stuart Townsend, who was the chap was that- Dorian Gray. Yeah, who was the chap that um, Viggo Mortensen replaced as Aragorn. Yeah, he was the original the day, Aragorn Lord Which I'm Rings. very, very happy about because Stuart Townsend can- Go suck a fuck. Really? I love, I love that he's like most famous role. Like you, like you might know him from is a role he didn't play. Yeah, that's... <laughs> you might know him from the two weeks he did in Lord of the Rings before he got fired. Is there anything that I would actually know him from? Like Queen Honestly? of the Dams, maybe from yeah. that same brief era where maybe people thought there might be something to him. Right. Before like, he did leave Extraordinary Gentleman. And, and he was good in it. Do you like his? Oh, I mean, like I haven't watched the film since again I was thirteen, so I would hesitate to to state with any authority whether there was anything good about his performance. Right, there was, but there's some nostalgia. At the time, I thought he was great. Okay. Um, but I also think, and there's something about the Dorian Gray character, as the most recent, apart from Penny Dreadful, in which he features as well, in sort of, you know, another literary character mashup thing, the thing about Dorian Gray is that when the, the most recent film was the 2009 one with Ben Barnes and yeah. Colin Firth, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are like, oh, Ben Barnes isn't very good in the film. And I'm like, yeah, but the, the whole point of the Dorian Gray character is that he's like, a vapid, empty, shallow socialite Mm -hmm. who literally chooses eternally being young and good-looking over, oh, I don't know, having a soul. So in League of Certain Gentlemen, they kind of made him, like, really cool and really stylish and everything. And I tried to read the book shortly afterwards. Mm. I was like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. I want to know more about this character. Couldn't get into it. Couldn't understand it. Didn't know what was going on. And it's funny. I was literally talking to somebody at a party last night about about Dorian Gray because I knew we were going to be recording this today. And we're talking about the fact that Dorian Gray's always had a bit of a troubled history in – cinematic adaptations because unlike you know some of the other classic horrors like you know dracula or frankenstein or whatever there's no definitive dorian gray film and there's no dorian gray film that's actually even known as better than average and i think that's Mm. because what makes the book work is less the story which is great and is sort of a classic faustian sell your soul to the devil be careful what you wish for type story Mm -hmm. but it's oscar wilde's writing And it's the fact that it's so packed with Oscar Wilde's philosophies and wit. And it basically, it's one of those books that you read and it's like, this couldn't have been written by anyone else because it literally drips his personality in every page. Yeah, yeah. I was reading about it today again in prep. And the three central characters of Dorian Gray, Dorian Gray, old mate Colin Firth, Henry Henry, Henry, and and Basil Hallward. And Basil Hallward. And Oscar thought that they were Oscar? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck, I'm blanking so hard right now. But I know what you're saying. Um, Oscar Wilde pretty much said that the three main characters of the novel were three different versions of himself. Yeah, so the, he said that the version that he thought himself to be, the version that he was seen as, and yes. the version that he actually is, I think. Yeah. So Dorian Gray was how he wants to be. Um, Basil Hallward is how Wants he sees himself, and yeah. Henry Wotton is how people see him. So just for context, those who haven't read the book, because we're not expecting you to have done your homework for this episode. I am. Um, Stop <laughs> listening. Not. But basically, the whole thing with the book is, for those who don't know, Dorian Gray, this young, handsome man, he's new in London, he's kind of the toast of the town, and he sort of falls under the sway of these two men who are friends, but are kind of polar opposites. So you've got Basil Hallward, who's the how would you describe him? Like very kind of moral. introverted moral artist who's just obsessed with his art and nothing else. Henry Wotton is that classic Oscar Wilde archetype, has all the great one-liners, is all like crazy about hedonism and this and this and this and sort of, you know, says all the outrageous things that makes everybody clutch their pearls in outrage. Mm-hmm. And basically the two of them are kind of obsessed with Dorian Gray. And Basil Hallward is perpetually painting Dorian Gray because he feels like he's never going to get another subject as great as this. And then finally he sort of finishes his masterpiece painting of Dorian and after Dorian's been listening to all of Henry's talk about the only thing worth having is youth and beauty and all of this, because once that's over, there's nothing left. Dorian essentially looks at the painting and says, I would give anything for the painting to grow old while I stay young forever, which of course is what happens. And then the book kind of plays out from there. But what, what's kind of weird about the book is that it's actually fairly light on drama or incident. It's mm. not a very long book. And there's one part about halfway through where it essentially covers the time jump where it goes from Dorian you know, being like 20 to him being like 40 or 50, but obviously still looks the same with essentially a chapter that's just him recounting this French book he's reading and all the ideas in it. But it's funny because there's a couple, there's a whole subplot in the book where Dorian essentially seduces this woman, tries to marry her, gets bored of her, spurns her, she kills herself. And then her brother essentially comes and tries to kill him and essentially is following him for the rest of the book, trying to kill him. But all of those chapters kind of feel a bit odd and a bit sort of at odds with everything else that's going on. Yeah. Because Oscar Wilde literally added that after the first publication. Because he was like, ah, this actually needs some more drama. And so there's this kind of really contrived kind of action-y subplot going on in the background. But yeah, Dorian Gray's always kind of been one of my favorite books. And I find it I find it immensely fascinating because if you look at it in the context of who Oscar Wilde was and the time it came out, it was used in his trial for homosexuality as evidence mm. against him. Because there's just little things like Later on in the book, essentially Dorian murders Basil Hallward in one part of the book. 
And he kills Basil and he's like, I need to get rid of the body. And so he basically contacts a friend of his who's a scientist and the friend comes in and Dorian kind of says to him, okay, I need you to, you know how to use chemicals and things like that. I need you to get rid of this body. And the friend's like, no, why would I? I don't ever want to see you again. Not after what happened with us. I do not want to see you. I don't want you in my life. I don't want to be associated with you. I don't want nothing to do with this murder. And Dorian goes, oh, okay. Is that the case? Fine. And then he just writes something. And he writes his letter and he hands it to the guy. And the guy kind of reads it and goes, okay, give me an hour. And then there's this line where it sort of talks about, you know, Dorian, why your why your friendship so destructive to young men and things like that. And basically it's like Dorian is perpetually seducing and destroying people and then using that against them. What did he write on the piece of paper? You never find out. The implication is that it's blackmail, that he's like, that they had an affair and Dorian's going to expose it if the guy doesn't do what he says. Wait, the implication is they, as in Dorian Gray, had and the affair. And this guy, yeah, yeah. Right. Because obviously there was only so much they could show Dorian's hedonism in the book considering the time. The one thing I think the movie loses, the movie's like really outright where you see Dorian like, you know, having sex with men and women left, right and centre and all of this stuff. And it's like, yeah, I mean, in this day and age you can show that. But I think part of the fun of the book is seeing all the ways that Oscar Wilde infers it without showing it because he can't show it. It's really, really interesting. But, yeah, I guess it's one of those things where I, I quite like the 2009 movie with Ben Barnes. I think it's a perfectly fine adaptation of the story insofar as a film can be because I just think to really capture what makes Dorian Gray special and what makes Dorian Gray work would be impossible because the book's already kind of done it and it's that voice and it's that style and it's everything about Oscar Wilde that makes it what it is. Story of its time. Oh, absolutely, but in a great way. I mean, and, you know, if you've ever read Oscar Wilde, like, his stuff is hilarious. Like, there's nobody, nobody could write witty dialogue the way Oscar Wilde could. So are you giving us a fix for the film or are you adapting the story? I'm giving us something a bit different. That's not an answer, Gabe. I don't want to spoil it. Oh. What? So I'm giving you, I guess it's a take on a Dorian Gray story. I think fixing the original story is pointless. I think in the book, it's great as it is. Mm-hmm. I think to adapt it, you all you can do is kind of adapt it, but it's impossible to kind of make it feel the same way the book does. So I honestly think that it's a pointless task. So I've taken a run at something a little bit different. All right. So for those who don't know, the way the Dorian Gray novel ends is that at the end of it, after everything that's happened, Dorian kind of realizes the hold the painting has on him and he essentially flips out and he's like, I need to destroy the painting. All of my trouble stem from the painting. And so he puts a knife through the painting and then his servants hear a scream and they run up into his attic where he keeps the painting and his body is just shriveled and ancient on the floor and the painting's young and beautiful. And the final line is it was only by looking at the rings on his hand that they could recognize who he was. So that's kind of where the Dorian Gray book leaves us. So my film pitch here is called The Trial of Dorian Gray. Mm -hmm. So we open on a view of London in the 1800s. The camera's slowly moving across the rooftops beneath the overcast sky, and then we hear a scream. And we cut to a servant running up a set of stairs, and he bursts into this attic room to see that there's a maid already standing there, hand over her mouth, eyes wide, and she's looking at something on the floor. And as the camera pulls out, we see a gnarled old man's hand covered in rings. They both stare at it, and then together they look up, eyes locking on something past the camera. And we cut to the handsome face of a young man, relaxed and smiling. But as we pull out, we realise we're no longer in the 1800s. We're in a very modern, very exclusive London club, full of pounding music, flashing lights, writhing dancers, knocking back cocktails. The young man's sitting on a corner couch by himself, sipping at a glass of wine as he just watches everything in front of him. And his eyes fix on one of the dancers, a young woman who seems to be alone. He watches her. His smile grows, he knocks back his drink, and he gets up to join her. And in flashes of montage, we see what happens next. They talk, they laugh, he buys her some drinks, they do some shots, they kiss, and we cut to the inside of a large, luxurious living room. The walls are covered in bookshelves and paintings, cabinets full of expensive alcohols, plush couches. The door bursts open and the man and woman enter. They're making out. It's raw, it's passionate, it's sexual. They are moments away from fucking, and we should feel kind of uncomfortable seeing this. And then the woman, whose name is Michaela, pulls back, and she says, drink? And the man's a bit taken aback. You know, he thought they were in the middle of something. And she tells him she likes to be a little bit drunk when she does it. He points out, you are a bit drunk, but she pushes the issue. And finally, a bit deflated, he goes to get a bottle of scotch from one of the cabinets. And here we get a little bit of banter. You know, the man's clearly rich. She asks him what he does. He says that he inherits. She teases him about the playboy lifestyle he's living. He brings her the scotch and she kind of giggles and tells him, I don't like scotch. And he's a bit affronted by this. Does she know how expensive and rare this stuff is? But she insists. She wants something else. So looking a little bit exasperated, he leaves the room to go get some wine. As he does, she kind of watches him go. And then she gets to her feet. She picks up his scotch glass, sniffs it, and still holding it, she starts to just walk around the room. 
She's not staggering or stumbling anymore. She's quite steady. She takes some books from the shelf, flicks through them. She opens one of his drawers and takes out a letter. She reads the letter with obvious interest. The letter seems quite old and almost like about to crumble. And then she returns to the couch, sits down, and replaces the glass exactly where it was, just as he returns. So now with her wine, she's drinking and they kind of resume flirting. And she sort of says, oh, you know, you're so good looking. Have you ever done any modeling? Have you ever, you know, posed for paintings or anything? And he kind of seems a bit evasive, but mentions, yeah, I've done a bit of modeling. And she kind of starts to needle him. She's like, oh, you don't, you don't really have the name for it. Jack Smith, it's almost conspicuously generic, you know, very close to John Smith. And then I'd know it was a fake. And he just says, well, if one wants to be generic, it's better not to be too generic. Might arouse suspicion. And now we're starting to notice that the mood in the room is shifting. She's less giggly and drunk. He's less relaxed. And her line of questioning seems to be getting more and more suggestive. Enough so that Jack Smith is clearly getting uncomfortable. And finally, he's had enough and he asks that she leaves. But she just ignores him and she says, you know, your house is so fascinating. All of your possessions, some of these books must be over 100 years old. And and the inscriptions... Dear Dorian, may this provide commentary on your wickedest games. Yours, Henry. Dorian. There's a name. Not a common one. I don't think I've ever met a Dorian before. It's the kind of name that's too far in the opposite direction of Jack Smith. It's so distinctive it can only be fake. And yet all the letters here seem to be addressed to a Dorian Gray. And when you put out your wallet to pay for the drink in the bar, your license clearly said Dorian Gray. He looks at her without expression. And then he just smiles. And he says, Foolish to go home with a man who lies about his name. And she says, seems to me that you'll be the deciding factor on my foolishness. What do you want? He says. She doesn't really seem to be paying attention to him. She goes, I have heard this name before. I'd even heard the same combination of name and surname. There was a Dorian Gray who lived in the late 1800s, a famously handsome man who people said never seemed to age. Some old journals talk about a painting. There are rumors of this, that all his friends got older around him and he remained frozen while the painting aged in his place. But then he died. They found him shriveled and elderly, only identified him by his rings. Dorian Gray, it sticks in the memory, doesn't it? Like the alter ego of a superhero or a supervillain. Distinctive yet simple. It's the kind of name that stands out when you hear it once, but then when you hear it more than once. There was a Dorian Gray who owned a speakeasy in America in the 20s. A Dorian Gray who dodged the draft in the 40s by showing a birth certificate that seemed to indicate he was far too old for military service despite looking barely 20. A Dorian Gray who was a major investor in a software company in the 80s. A Dorian Gray who worked as a male model in the 90s. And now you. So many Dorian Grays, all of whom share more than a name. A handsome face and a reputation for disreputable behavior. Any levity is gone from the young man now. And he just tells her you're being an idiot. You're reciting ghost stories. I'm tired of this and now you need to leave. But she just keeps going. My grandparents knew a Dorian Gray too. This is back in the 50s. My dad had just been born. You know, they were struggling, living out of a flat in London. Granddad was a cop. Grandma worked in a clothing factory. You know, very traditional. But they were both unhappy, too smart for their stations, I think. Grand wanted more. She wanted excitement and adventure. And instead, she had a brooding husband and a screaming baby. And Granddad, you know, I can't bemoan his lot too much because without I wouldn't be here. But, you know, he had needs outside of the traditional as much as he tried to hide them. And then one night, they get invited to this fancy dinner party and they meet such an interesting man. One who charmed both of them. I dare say they were both a little smitten. But they were so shy, but he just kept finding excuses to spend time with them, bring them out of their shells. How wonderful he must have seemed, a shot in the arm of their miserable lives, someone who urged them to just live their dreams and desires, to just be. But you know better than me what just being meant in those days, especially once the neighbors found out and the parents who they relied on. The scandal, two of them, both seduced by the same man who flaunted their relationship and mocked them in the darkest corners of high society, who did nothing to hide his visits as he twisted them both around his little finger and left them right when they had become a disgrace. Grandma said that her husband spent weeks looking for that man before he threw himself off a bridge. And Gran, for all that she wanted excitement and adventure, maybe she was just never cut out for it. Mental breakdown, apparently. She never got out of that home. Poor Gran. And the young man's kind of amused now. What, he says, you think it's more likely that I'm the same as this Dorian than that we just share a name? But she's ready for this. See, she's tracked down photos of the other Dorian Greys, and they more than resemble each other. They're identical. And Dorian Gray, because of course that's who he is, just looks at her and says, what do you want? Revenge? No, she says, what she wants is an explanation for what he did. And Dorian laughs her off. He has absolutely no interest in continuing this conversation. But then she just coldly says, how's your scotch? Dorian looks at his drink. It's slow acting, Michaela says. Easily counteracted, but without knowing what does the counteracting... As you're unable to tell a doctor what I put in your drink, they can hardly cure you. 
Dorian looks at the scotch, taken aback, and then he just starts to laugh. Oh, bold, he says, very bold. So what do you want? Information about a story she already knows? But Michaela wants to know why, but Dorian's reply is simple. She knows why. He did it because it was fun. And she's like, what, ruining lives is fun? He said, no, no, ruining lives was an unfortunate byproduct of fun. She's outraged. She's like, you had to know what would happen. The time you were in, and he goes, you were just so very patronizing, my little avenging angel. I knew exactly what time I was in. I'm like you, I lived it. And yet I managed to not throw myself off a cliff or have a mental breakdown. I was fucking married women and repressed men left, right, and center, often at the same time. I never hit it, and I lost nothing. Your grandparents were adults. They knew what they were doing, I assume, because truth be told, I don't remember them. Michaela is shocked, but Dorian pretty much explains after years, it all gets a bit blurry. Now, is that enough? Is that all she wants from him? And Michaela sort of says that she could just leave him to die. But Dorian just keeps laughing because after over a century of living the lifestyle he has, does she really think she's the first person to try poison? Michaela's losing ground. What, it won't have any effect? And Dorian says, oh, it'll have an effect. Cut me, I'll bleed. Poison me, I'll hurt. I prefer not to hurt. And she's furious. She goes, I don't care what you prefer. He says, you should, because right now it's the only leverage you have. She goes, I could just leave. Dorian smiles. Oh, you think I'll let you? Suddenly a new danger has entered the room. Because now Michaela is starting to see just what this man is capable of. And trying to hide the quiver in her voice, she asks if he's ever killed anyone. And he just says, try living for over a century and avoiding it. Michaela says that's wrong. That's just that and you could avoid it if you're a decent person. But Dorian suggests after a long enough timeline, nobody's morality can actually survive intact. The fireman has to choose between two people in the burning building. Likewise, if he has to choose between his own happiness and somebody else's, he'll choose his own. And Michaela's furious. She's like, look at you, over a century of life, and you still value yourself above anyone else? What sort of way to live is that? Dorian says, speaking with the authority of your 25 years, and she says, I must have some. I managed to get this far without selling my soul. Dorian's very, very amused by all of this. He's like, you think that's what I did? And she says, how else do you explain a painting that ages while you stay young? Dorian's taken aback. He seems a little bit flawed and kind of asks how she knows about the painting, and she slowly explains that she dug up the journal of Basil Hallward. And she read it and she found out all about his suspicions, all about his feelings for Dorian, all about his growing fear that there was something very, very dark growing in the heart of his muse. And as Dorian listens, he kind of seems taken aback. Maybe he just hasn't heard the name Basil Hallward in so long. Maybe these memories from over 100 years ago are just starting to have an effect on him. And as he kind of remembers what he went through, he sort of sits down. And Michaela notices this and maybe she starts taking pity. And almost gently she says, why would you want this? Dorian says, one season in the sun. That's what we get. One season we think will last forever, even if we pretend not to. When I was a child, I fell and scraped my knee. It was bad, but I thought nothing of it. Why would I? Except even after it healed, the scar remained. The first blemish on the blank canvas that was my life. Even if we try to go through the world as if we were finest china, the chips will get us eventually. And the wear and tear and the beauty we have, even just for a day, erodes. Wrinkles like scars, signs of damage we can never get rid of. And it happens so slowly, so insidiously. I've seen it. Friends and lovers, one day they laugh about their first gray hair, then they shrivel and they're not laughing anymore. And they all say, I've come to terms with it. I embrace death. But nobody ever does. We accept death because we have no choice. Every one of us, given the chance, would do what I did. Every single one of us, because death is just too damn scary. Have you ever thought about it? Really thought about it? And Michaela says, of course she has. Everyone does. But Dorian starts asking different questions. Has she ever been in love? She's apprehensive, but she answers she has. And he just keeps needling her, asking her more and more details about how it felt, about what happened to it, about what the day-to-day process of living with this person was like. And she kind of says more about herself. He explains, when you die, those memories will be gone forever. All those memories of love and family and the special moments that made your life worth living, they die with us. And the blink of an eye become nothing. There's nowhere for them to be stored or saved or treasured. The same goes for all the bad things. Everything that makes up who you are will go. Can you really imagine that? Dorian says pleasure comes in many forms. Maybe it's sexual, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's love or the warmth of friendship or whatever. But the bottom line is simple. It makes us feel good. And in the absence of a heaven where we'll be rewarded for our wonderful decency, the only thing worth living for is pleasure. Because God knows there is enough misery on this planet that you have to contend with in the tiny span of years you call a life. And even if heaven did exist, well, what's to say that it is what those that know say it is? Is it nirvana, a state of perpetual bliss? Living in clouds, playing harps, and feeling good about the pure lives we led? 70 virgins for us to do with whatever we please? Even the promise of heaven is little more than the promise of an eternity feeling good at the expense of spending your life turning down the opportunity to do the same. 
What a slap in the face to finally arrive at death and realize that your sanctimonious life was all for nothing. Michaela stares at him, horrified, but maybe just a little compelled? She kind of weakly says, if everybody lived that way, the world would be a horrible place. Doreen explains, but everyone doesn't, whether it's because they're scared of God or the law or something else. People never indulge every one of their desires. That's the thing about living my way. Because if you don't have a full stop, the sentence can go wherever you damn well please. Michaela says, you can't have experienced everything though. I mean, you haven't had kids, you haven't been married, you haven't... But the look on his face answers her. He has. And it bored him. He can hardly pretend to be what he's not. Michaela says, then you don't need a painting to preserve your rotting soul. You're doing a fine job yourself. Doran's very relaxed now. He's very in control. He's like, I'm willing to be proven wrong. I've got all of eternity to explore my options. And you can hardly fathom that, can you? I could decide to change my ways in 100 years if I wanted to. 200. Wouldn't make a difference. Maybe right now I'm speaking from a place of relative youth and naivety. Maybe after a millennium, wisdom will strike and I'll look back on these days with a rueful shake of the head. I have no idea, but I have all the time in the world to find out. He takes a lighter out of his pocket. He flicks it. Michaela's transfixed by the flame as he holds it and he just says, imagine it. Imagine a fire that never goes out. A fire that never need fear the fingers that might snuff it. And as Michaela stares at him, we see that whether she likes it or not, She's coming around. And he approaches her, still holding that lighter, and he just keeps needling. What will you see in your life, Michaela? Some changes in technology? A war or two? Maybe a revolution if if you're lucky? In that time, you can basically choose one life to live. Bored housewife, rampant hedonist, hardworking hero, none of the above. Or all of them. What are you telling me? She says. I'm not telling. I'm asking. And as Michaela realizes, so do we. He's offering her something. Something he knows how to achieve. Imagine it, Dorian says. Civilizations that rise and fall. Technology we can only dream of. Technology so incredible it might as well be magic. And in time, imagine walking on a different planet. Meeting life from beyond the stars. Watching the universe finally come to whatever end will one day arrive. And never fearing. Never fearing what you'll miss. Never fearing what will come the moment you breathe your last. No blade hanging over you, ready to turn you to nothing. Michaela, of course, rejects it. No, she she doesn't want this, but her voice is cracking and we doubt she's even convincing herself. And Doreen keeps pushing. All she needs is to want it, just like he did. And then the eternity of possibility could be hers as well. She closes her eyes. She seems to consider it. And then she asks, the Doreen Gray they found in the 1800s, famous for being young and handsome until they found his shriveled corpse. They found him right beside a splendid painting of the man as they'd seen him last. You tried to destroy it, And you died. Doreen says, I'm not dead. But you tried. Why? Doreen tries to evade. He's on the back foot now. But Michaela pushes him, demands answers. And finally, as she pushes him and asks more and more, why did you do it? Why did you do it? What made you do it? He just cracks. He did destroy the painting. And he did die. And then he woke up two days later in a gutter on the other side of the city holding the painting. Did you try again? Michaela asks. Doreen nods. How many times? What, how many times did I attack the painting or how many times did I kill myself? I wanted to live forever. I wanted to be young and beautiful forever. But forever means forever, even if you change your mind. He walks over to the chair and he slumps into it. He's staring hollow-eyed into the distance. When the painting couldn't be destroyed, I tried to accept it. I'd been stupid to attack it. I only wanted to be rid of the reminder of what I'd done to Basil and Sybil and all the rest. I told myself that, but then... Even when I went years without looking at it, the memories remained. So I tried other methods, opium, alcohol, hypnosis. The memories didn't leave. And eventually, 30 years after making that deal, enough was enough. I put a weight around my feet and I jumped into the Thames. I woke up in my bed. I burned down my house with me inside it. Found myself in a boarding house with the painting. Again and again, every time and every time it hurt so much, every blade and bullet, but not nearly as much as waking up again and seeing this face in the mirror. Every time. Eventually, even oblivion seemed worth escaping this face. But no. Here I remain, no heaven or hell for Dorian Gray, not even sweet nothing, just this. And his rueful smile comes on his face and he says, I always wondered when people told me stories as a child about those who made deals with the devil, I always wondered what was so bad about it. I mean, if Satan owns your soul, how is that any different to someone who disobeyed one of the Ten Commandments or any other unrepentant sinner? You end up in hell regardless, right? There's no such luck. Not for those of us who sell our souls rather than waste them. No, we become his plaything. Because what's funnier than somebody being tormented forever by the very thing they wanted more than anything else? You want to die, Michaela says. I did. Once. 
Now I don't want very much at all. I just sort of go through the paces. Michaela's nodding. She's thinking about what he's told her. And she says, including bringing me here, including trying to convince me to take what you have, despite knowing what it did to you. Dorian has tears in his eyes now. And he looks at her and he says, I, I don't want to be alone anymore. And there isn't much as lonely as living forever. And to achieve that, Michaela says, you would consign me to the same fate as you. Despite all the pain you've suffered, despite knowing your choice was the wrong one, despite knowing you are little more than the devil's plaything, you would wish the same on another human being. Dorian's almost pleading with her now. He's like, I made a terrible choice when I was 20. I've suffered for it ever since. Don't I deserve a respite? I can't live like this anymore. He starts to cry. I will do anything, Michaela, anything. Please just don't leave me alone. And as she looks at him, her expression hardens. Oh, Dorian, she says, I am so sorry. Something has changed. She seems taller, maybe? Sterner? Oh, we pity you, she says. So very much. You're only human after all. The temptation, it's strong. I know that. You have free will, the choices are yours, but that doesn't mean you remove yourself from mercy. That doesn't mean there's no absolution. Dorian's confused. What are you talking about? She says... You have had so long, Dorian, longer than anyone to prove yourself worthy of forgiveness. And I wanted nothing more than to come here tonight and forgive you, to release you. You made a deal with the devil, Dorian. If you knew there was a devil, you should have known there was another side. And realization hits. <laughs> no, Dorian says, no, no, that's not possible. You, you can fix me. No, I can't. But you said yourself, my, my mistakes don't remove me from mercy. She says, but your refusal to learn from them does. Tonight, you attempted to manipulate an innocent woman into consigning herself to the same fate as you in order to no longer be alone. Despite years and years to teach you that you made a terrible mistake, those are not the actions of a good man. Dorian's completely begging now. He's on his knees. Please, please, just give me another chance. I'll do anything. But Michaela simply says, you only had to do one thing. You didn't do it. She heads for the door. Dorian's screaming. When? When will I get another chance? She looks at him. She says... If you can't change in almost three times the life of a normal man, why would anyone think you ever can? And she walks out the door. Dorian is fully breaking down. He's screaming again and again, just the same words. I can change. I can change. I can change. And as he yells this, we cut to the attic of the house. We can still hear his repeated cries. I can change as we slowly pull in on something in the shadows. The painting. A horrible, decrepit, ancient creature in there, rotten and dead looking. We still just hear again and again, I can change. I can change. And the picture smiles. The end. Hey, everyone. Sorry to interrupt, but I just want to tell you guys very quickly about our sponsor, dollarshaveclub.com. If shaving is a pain in the neck because you keep cutting it with inferior razors, well, do I have the solution for you that'll make your life so much easier and neck cut free. As a bearded man, although a neatly trimmed and stylish bearded man, I know the importance of a quality shave. But quality can be expensive. Since joining dollarshaveclub.com, I don't need to choose between price and quality to get an amazing shave anymore. Dollarshaveclub.com is a no-brainer for an incredible shave delivered right to your door. That's right, they deliver straight to your home for less than what I used to pay. No more going to the store dealing with the hassle of that since joining the club. So what are you waiting for? Just go to dollarshaveclub.com and pick up a razor that works for you from their lineup of amazing blades. That's all there is to it. I get a first-class shave with my executive razor because I deserve it. And when I use it with their Dr. Carver's Shave Butter, the blade just gently glides for the smoothest shave imaginable. So, now's your chance to get why over 3 million members like me love Dollar Shave Club. Right now, you can get your first month of the club for as little as $5. After that, it's just a few bucks a month. Dollar Shave Club is so confident in the quality and value of all their products, there's no long-term commitment or any hidden fees. There's no reason not to join. Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash moviemaint. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash moviemaint. That's M-O-V-I-E-M-A-I-N-T. Now, back to the show. Well. What? <laughs> huh? I thought that was the opening scene. <laughs> no, no. That's, it's, it's all one scene. So it could yeah. be a play. Yeah, basically. I mean, I feel like it is a Man, play. I'd like, basically. I didn't, like, did a backflip when I realized, oh, we're not leaving this room. No, no, no. No, it's, it's no I didn't like, realize. <laughs> I was like, 
No, no, no. It's not. But like only a like a minute or two ago, I was like, that's a long opening scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah it's, it's, it's all just see, it's, you, You're new at this writing thing, Gabe. So when you have a cold <laughs> open, oh, you like maybe five, six pages? Like that's a good one. Okay, well, good. Now, no, now I, I know. I think it. it's a testament to it. The fact that I still thought it was an opening scene. That's how like, you know, when you're enjoying something, you yeah, don't yeah. recognize how long it is. Like well, I was still just like, oh yeah, it's long, but okay. Like I'm no, on board. I guess I was going for like, you know, I mean, ultimately, yeah, it would work probably best to play, but kind of like a tape or something where it's like, or, or a carnage where it's just kind of one scene, the yeah. drama's kind of playing out there. But I just sort of thought, because, you know, we all sort of talked a little bit about kind of taking classic horror properties for movie maintenance and everything. I've mm. always loved Dorian Gray. And I just love the idea of putting him on trial. Yeah. Like, and the idea of, okay, so yeah, because it's a perfect Faustian tale as it is. And I would never say this is like a sequel or anything like that. It's kind of just an addendum. Yeah. But I thought, yeah, like he he still dies at the end. He still escapes at the end of the book. And I was like, what if you don't? What if it's like, no, no, you want to live forever. You live forever. Hmm. You can kill yourself as many times as you want. You will always come back. Yeah. You said you said that you don't want it to feel like a sequel, but it is absolutely a sequel. It's just a really good sequel. Oh, thank you. Because it's just you've taken the characters in the world and you're developing it, but you're keeping the same themes and motifs and like bringing yeah. them back around in a new way, in a fresh way. Mm. And it doesn't yeah, feel like hackneyed true. or like... I remember a few years ago hearing about a Dorian Gray pitch, like a, a film that was in development, and it was just this. It sounded like this really vapid, really obvious modern day retelling. I'm pretty sure it was like a selfie. Was uh, the yeah, yeah. There's was there's the been picture a few of those. I think yeah, yeah. So it's. I was, I'm really, really glad that didn't happen. Not that I expected it to. No, it's. But I think I think that's kind of because I, there are a lot of those. Like there's one. I think there was one version in the '80s, like a novel maybe that was like. Dorian Gray, where he's a male model. It's just a retelling of the same story, basically. Yeah. And I think it's like a video of him or like a film of him that yeah. is the painting and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Like, sure, we can update it. And yeah, making Dorian Gray a selfie or something. It's like, yeah, cool. But really, that's such a shallow thing because it's like, okay, you're just, all you're doing is updating the format of what holds his soul. You can be like, oh, it's so clever and relevant. But yeah. ultimately, you're telling the same story. I, I kind of like the shallowness of it, though, because it fits with Dorian oh, quite well. Yeah, actually, you're, you're completely right. It is kind of funny that way. But I would much prefer this. Oh, boy. But yeah, I was like, yeah. what if it was literally just Oscar Wilde's Dorian Gray? Not a reimagining or reinterpretation, just the same character yeah. in the present day. And he just never got to die. And basically, he's just like, and then the idea of thinking, okay, well, if we can buy into the fact that he made a deal with the devil, then whatever your religious beliefs in the world of these stories, there would have to be another side as well. Yeah. And the idea that that other side would be like, all right, you have the opportunity for mercy, but you need to prove that you've changed. And then in the end, it's like, no, he literally tries to manipulate a woman into making the same choice as him mm-hmm. so that he can't be lonely more. Doesn't give a fuck about her suffering. Because that's the whole thing in the book. His lover, Sybil Vane, who he has at the start of the book, she's like this innocent woman who basically he watches her nightly performances in Romeo and Juliet or something. And he thinks she's incredible and amazing. And he's so inspired by her. And this is weird thing where like when she falls in love with him and when he sort of proposes to her, she stops being able to perform as well. I think it's essentially one of those, like, you know, once you lose her virginity, she can't because it's Oscar Wilde. Like once perfection is tainted, like, you know, he kind of plays those themes a lot. Mm. And then basically she can't perform anymore and Dorian kind of becomes disgusted by her and then she kills herself and that's when the painting first changes, when it goes from just being him to being like having a cruel smile on his face. And basically Dorian's, what terrifies Dorian, I think from memory when he looks at the painting, he goes, oh, it's not too bad. What actually bothers him is not the fact that he's killed someone, it's the fear that his soul might become ugly because of this. Mm. So it's all about him. Even when it's like, yeah, he doesn't want to be alone anymore. He wants human companionship, but he's so fucked up and so toxic that in his mind, it's like, I don't care about who it is. And, was, and there was something else I didn't mean to put in there, but the reason he never changed his name was so that eventually somebody would track him down so that he could use that as leverage to kind of make his case. Oh, let's talk about that smile at the end. The last frame of your film, the smile I, on the painting. What are you going for there? I don't know. <laughs> I was just like, I just think that's a cool ending. Um, it is no, a cool ending. I, yeah. I don't know. Well, you I, could read into it any way you want, really. Yeah, yeah that's kind of what it's Because I was for. thinking like, okay, because going over what you just said of when Sybil killed herself, you get the snarl. Yeah. That's reflecting, you know, the soul of Dorian Gray. And now he's finally smiling on the painting. So maybe that, to me, I was thinking, okay, so he has turned a corner now. This He's been scrooged. That's, this is his Christmas that's Carol. What I'm, I, I meant. That was a totally intentional. <laughs> I assume you were just blending two Victorian authors like together, like that. Where even sometimes like directors will come out and be like, yeah. "I don't know what happens next." Like you know, like I, I don't know what that means. It could mean this. It could mean that. It's up to you. I like that at the ending of well, the story. I, I did kind of want to keep it a little bit because I just thought as I was, I was like, "Yeah, I want to end on the painting." Like originally, because like. Ultimately, this is a play. Like, this is going to be... Oh, yeah, there's, for sure like, that's a play. I look forward to seeing scene. it in it's, about a year's time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it's one of those things where, like, when I was, like, coming up with the idea, I was like, 
I think I was talking to Carney about it. I was like, do I have to show the painting? And he's like, no, it'd be better if you don't. Because he's like, it's like in the movie, the painting, particularly when it's all fucked up, is like all CGI. Mm. And it just doesn't work because it's like, mm. again, everything that you imagine is always a million times worse than yeah, what you can depict sure. on screen. Which is, I mean, we've talked a little bit about this in other episodes. I mean, horror and suspense, it's the unknown. Is, it, yeah, is the best absolutely. way to, to create fear in the audience. Is and the talking unknown. about the painting is this horrible thing. But then I was like, I kind of want to show it because I was like, I just think the creepiness of like, if it's this awful painting and then it's just like, just a twitch of a smile at the end. It was like almost like the Inception thing where you're like, oh, wait, wait what? Like, I just, mm. it just, that just creeps me out. Cause it's like, what does it mean? What is it? Why is it there? And it's, and it could be so momentary. Like, did I see that? And just, yeah. I just think if I saw that in cinema, I kind of feel like I'd just, I'd get this, you know, delighted, horrified shiver up my spine as it happens. <laughs> yeah, that would be, oh, oh. but yeah. yeah. Um, I have a question for you, Gabe. Yeah, go on. If this was a film mm-hmm. or if this was a play like on, you know, on Broadway, who would you cast? as um, Dorian, and who would you cast as Michaela? I feel like this is a real cliche, but Michaela could almost quite easily be like a Jennifer Lawrence or an Emma Stone type. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, you know, imagine particularly those early moments, like, you know, she's quite flirty, she's quite funny, she's got, like, quite witty dialogue and everything, but then has to kind of – or even, like, a Saoirse Ronan could be really cool because she could yeah. do that, like, a yeah. kind of – particularly at the end when the angel reveal happens, like, she could be quite – terrifying mm. there yeah for be. sure she could definitely do that play that second half. i mean she could play both yeah. really well but especially or, that second half which is the more important half i yes. think personally yeah. or tessa thompson i just because i really like tessa thompson. tessa thompson no thank um, you i have what would i know well no what she was, what, was she not cast in? she was the worst part of westworld and she was the worst part tessa of creed thompson. oh i know yes <laughs> do you know how i know i mean i do remember in westworld but i just remember anyway i, I, don't, I don't know about her acting abilities i just <laughs> yeah i, I was gonna say i remember your facebook Post Cheers. Um, no, do you know who I was thinking? Do you remember in terms of someone who I know can do that switch mm. in a way that's really compelling? Have you got? Did you guys ever see the film Hard Candy? Oh, with Patrick Wilson and Ellen Page. Yes, it's a really yes. good film. Which I think was an inadvertent oh, influence on this. We should talk about, about that for horror. I mean, because yeah, yeah. that's a great horror film. Uh, yeah, Ellen Page, but it, it's a little bit different because she's going from innocent to like psychotic, which isn't quite the same switch. But she pulled off that switch. I've never seen someone play that deception quite as well as she yeah. did in that movie. It's She's really excellent in it. Yeah, and it's a great really, film. Yeah. It's a really nice little um, indie kind of horror. Yeah, I like Hard Candy made me very uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. But that was clearly the intention of it. So, oh, shit. You know. Like, yeah. As for Dorian, I don't know who's young and pretty and can act. I was thinking like a couple of minutes ago about Bill Skarsgård. Who has just been... He was in it. He was he, in he's clown Pennywise. In it. I don't know what he looks like without clown makeup He's He's handsome. Yeah, okay. The scars, the scars, he's handsome-ish. The scars, the scars guards. Well, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I guess you, I'm with Gabe. I haven't seen him out of Pennywise. Mm. And yeah, Skarsgård's a beautiful. He's young. Yeah. He's a good actor. He's He can be terrifying, clearly. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming he's got the range. Because Dorian's got to be like inhumanly handsome. Yeah. Like yeah. just so me. Yeah, basic, basically, yes. Cast Tom Cast him now. I'm trying to think, inhumanly handsome. I mean, Hollywood's full of actors, well. which I'm like, handsome, but too handsome. Like, I don't mind Ben Barnes in the original film because I'm mm. like, you know, Dorian doesn't. He he can be quite one though, but like in this version, this is him after 150 years, like, or not 150, but like 130 years maybe. He wouldn't be as vapid anymore. He he has to like play some real emotional range at the end, and like some real devastation when kind of it hits home, and some real pathos in the scenes where he's kind of reflecting on everything he's fucked up. Like I'm veering for a kind of more complex story in here. It's like you never really know his motivations. A lot of the emotional stuff he exposes is genuine. He has been. He's human, you know. He's not a cold-blooded monster. He's somebody who just wants companionship but is too selfish to understand what that means. What about Jake Gyllenhaal? He's, he's too not old. young enough. What about – Dorian's meant to be like 20. This is real stunt casting and he is God. definitely too old but he doesn't look at old mate Jared Leto. Real life, yeah. and on that note, and he's he's otherworldly as well. Yeah, he is he's for sure, and he is an ageless man. He has spent the last twenty years bathing in the cum of angels. He is an <laughs> oh, Jesus! Man. Oh my god! Yeah, no, he would be uh, perfect look, yeah. actually because yeah, he he, I think he's like in his forties or is, something. Yeah. But he does, he looks really young. But then it's also kind of like he has a like it would be that good juxtaposition where you believe he's really old. I mean, if we're going to go off the wall, I mean, oh, no, he's probably too old now, but, like, Elijah Wood, I know he's kind of offbeat, but he does have that otherworldly kind yeah. of, like... I think it was yeah. just because I was... There's a bunch of Harry Potter posters opposite me. I was like, well, maybe Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. <laughs> I know, now we're just picking... Yeah. What about maybe young Anakin who's in from James the... Th- <laughs> Let's just pick people who, are, who we can see, so... <laughs> 
Um, Hugh Jackman's too old. I mean, Jared Leto makes mm. the most appearances at the moment, so I feel like that's. I'm uh, trying to think just like who's been who's in Game of Thrones. Kit Harrington's probably too. Yeah, I was thinking of no, Richard Jamie Lannister was. Oh yeah. Who are you oh. thinking? Rob Stark. Yeah. He's handsome. He can act. He's the right yeah. age. Do you want a Scottish? Nothing. You want a Scottish Dorian Gray? He can be Scottish. He's, Oscar Wilde was Irish. Like, have you seen so him in Cinderella? He's just he's just endless nothingness. Like, mm. I can't. I mean, maybe that fits the character. But Eddie Redmayne. Uh, no, no, I'm still just looking enough. around the room at posters. He's almost got to be like, almost like pretty. I think. Yeah, I know what you like mean. Quite That's why Jared delicate. Leto is perfect because he's yeah, he's a, he's a pretty man. boy. I just don't like Jared Leto. Wow. <sighs> what are you gonna do? Mm, true. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. know. So, sorry, <laughs> this Jared. film can't move forward until we cast someone, Gabe. God damn it! Look, let's uh, just get Daniel Day Lewis. He'll he'll work it out. Oh, do you know who's crazy beautiful? Matt Maybe? Bummer. Yeah, but oh, yeah. he's crazy beautiful. Yeah, he's, okay, I think too old again. He's because I know he's American. He's very American. He's got that very square jaw cowboy quality to well, him. Who's been in quality British TV shows? Have there been any quality British TV shows recently? <laughs> I have not been watching enough stuff lately. Look, I think Young Anakin was a really Jake good Lloyd. choice. <laughs> yeah, particularly with how he looks now. Oh, oh, oh really? I haven't oh, seen him now. Yeah, Macaulay Culkin. Macaulay <laughs> Yeah, right? I would watch that, though. If you wanted would... audiences to come in like that. No, no, no. Macaulay Culkin plays the painting. Oh. But what yes. does he do? He just comes out in the last scene <laughs> and just, like, grins at everyone. It's just like, you know, the real <laughs> no, beautiful he... handsome Dorian is Jake Lloyd and the fucked up Dorian of the painting, the painting is Macaulay Culkin. Uh, thus, you know, invoking the great painting, the scream, is, is Macaulay Culkin doing the great Home Alone <laughs> hands on yeah. face. Oh, oh, no. I would watch that Perfect. movie. Sorted it out. Yeah, that would be something of a punchline. Cool. I reckon that probably wraps it up mm-hmm. for, for this. So, yeah, if you guys have any ideas about Dorian Gray or maybe... Who should be Dorian Who should yeah, be Dorian Gray. Yeah, because we're struggling. I mean, obviously, Young Anakin's the winner, but yeah. I mean, other I mean, no, him. second choice, second choice. <laughs> yeah. He's a busy man. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't want to hedge our bets. Jake Lloyd's career is going off Is he still like acting? I don't... I look, I... He's, I think he's in prison. What? No. Oh, he might be. He's been no. turning up to Star Wars conventions and complaining yeah, but, about no, Star Wars. No, he's not. He's not in prison. He was arrested recently. For like what? in the last 18 he was. months Being or something. The cutest for like kid. driving on speed. What? <laughs> like, Actually? Kath, I love how outraged you are by Jake Lloyd's <laughs> slow descent <laughs> into. It makes all the sense in the world. He's young Anakin. He has to fall to the dark side. And this film can be his redemption. We're going to save you, Jake Lloyd. Holy crap. Oh my not only have we made a film. We've saved Jake Lloyd's career. Guys, we're so good and at this. If, I mean, if, if he's in jail, then also like his life and his future. This is, I, I can't believe, on speed. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing Kath Atkins, the only person in the world who cares about Jake Lloyd. I do, actually. <laughs> I didn't 10 seconds ago, but now Kath, I want to save Kath, was young Anakin your first crush? No, God, no. But I mean, I mean, like I, my first crush was Daniel Radcliffe. Like he will always hold that spot in my heart, but he's just so I mean, I'm cute. looking at a picture of him right now. And as a kid, he was a little frog boy. No, he I was kind of cute. Wanna... He was a little sweet. Like, oh my God. After everything you've oh, gone, we've no. gone through, you need to know what oh. Jake Lloyd looks like now. No, this is going to be such a slap. She can't do that to her. Uh, do, 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 do you do. have like? Are you sure? Like, we certain he He's, was driving on speed. Are you sure he didn't just something, like litter or something cute like that? Speed. Like, is, oh, so cute. Cute is cute. the word you want. Cute. There yeah. oh, we go. This is this is mugshot. <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm not sure I was driving on speed. I'm pretty sure speed's related, and that picture would certainly infer oh that. Oh my god! That is actually something out of a nightmare. No, it's not. It's like we've it's introduced not like his you. Face. It's like his expression and the the choice of facial hair and the expression. I I watched this um you know mean tweets. Yeah. Someone did one for I can't remember one actor. They he read it out and he was like, so and so has raper face?" And then it's funny because it's like, what does that even mean? It means that that's that face. <laughs> oh, he clearly has the face of a white supremacist. Oh, he does. That's what it is. Oh, little baby. <laughs> I feel like we've introduced you to the concept of Santa Claus and then 30 seconds later told you he's not real. But he was so pure and innocent and he was such like the, he was like the every kid. And like, now we will redeem him with the power of Doreen Gray. Like, I missed the Home Alone. Like Home Alone kind of happened right before I was kind of watching, mo- like I was, you know what I mean? Like I was right after it. So he was my Home Alone kid. That was like the epitome of the child. Oh my God. You start out pitching a movie and then... Ruined my life. You started out pitching a movie and then you finished by ruining my life. Which, you know, considering the thematic subject is 
fitting, I think. Two emotional gut punches for the price of one. The worst podcast I've ever done. So on that note. Not you, Gabe. You were excellent. <laughs> On that great. Note, I've been game. Time. I've been Ed Goose. I don't even know who I am. I don't know what's up anymore. <laughs> and if you are, if you want to chime in on Kat's slow mental breakdown, email us in at moviemaintenance at sanspantsradio.com. Otherwise, you can tweet us at <laughs> mmsanspants or I'm at Goldbergmoser. I'm at Tom Edgoose. Oh, what's my Twitter? I'm at Kath Kath at five, 5, I think. <laughs> but I, I don't even know. God. I'm, I'm shutting down everything. I'm going into a hole. I I'm, not, I'm done. On that beautiful note, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. If you want to help support the show, why not become a member at sanspantsplus.com and get early access to our shows, a bunch of exclusive content, and much, much more. That's sanspantsplus.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.